They were sent, but they didn't go. On Easter night, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Sending usually implies movement. And yet, 50 days later, they are still in the same place, same upper room. While we're dealing with different biblical authors, John versus Luke in Acts, the question remains, if the risen Christ in their midst is not enough to get his followers to act, then who will finally light a fire under them, turn these sheep into shepherds? Or more to the point, perhaps, who will light a fire under us? It's 50 days after Easter, and where are we? I'm asking on behalf of Jane Hoover, a two-year-old who will be baptized here in just a few minutes. Through the sacrament of baptism, Jane officially joins the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. How will we ever be equal to her energy? Personally, I hang my hope on the promise Jesus made as he ascended in words we heard last Sunday. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I wonder, though, what the disciples pictured as Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit The Spirit of God shows up throughout the Hebrew Bible. The scriptures at least gave them a place to start. In Genesis, the Spirit of God hovers over creation and brings a whole new world into being. The Spirit in today's psalm continually renews the face of the earth. As for the Spirit in Joel, as quoted in Acts, it pours out on all flesh. It doesn't discriminate by age or gender. It makes the young see visions and the old dream dreams. This is no vague ghost or fragile, harmless cloud. The spirit of God is life-giving. It's creative, and it is radically inclusive. And it will not rest until we respond in kind. Fast forward. Pentecost. Something worth waiting for arrives. The calm breath of Jesus in a closed room becomes a mighty wind that finally pushes the disciples out into the world. It might be hard for us to picture what divided tongues as of fire appearing and resting on them could look like, But it wasn't for our first century audience. They saw it every day on the coin of the realm. A tongue of fire appeared above Caesar's head on each coin, asserting his power as a son of the divine. Here, the spirit steals that definition and makes it its own. Now, 
real power resides in each of us, all of us. As with the disciples, the Spirit gives us the power to speak, where before we were silent. Gives us the power to lead, where before we may have just been content to follow. The Spirit is how we know that we are part of something bigger than our families, or those who look and sound just like us. The Spirit makes us part of a covenant community whose loyalty transcends national boundaries that cannot be limited to a single language or class or culture. Spirit gives us the world. So then, how do we know the Spirit in ourselves when we see it today? The power of God's Spirit shows up differently in each of us. Today's passage from 1 Corinthians gives us some ways to name the Spirit's power in us. Some of you might find it in your fiery, prophetic passion for justice. For others, though, it might be more in your clear-headed calm while the rest of the world is raging. We don't have to choose one or the other as more valuable. Both are needed for the common good. We might find the spirit in our knowledge, born of disciplined study, or in the wisdom wrought from hard-won experience. Again, we don't have to claim God's presence in one and not the other. For some of you, the gift of a rock-solid faith is what you bring to the table. For others, it's your very presence that somehow invites healing and wholeness. Some of us have brilliant insights, but are not readily understood. <laughs> others might have the gift of translating that brilliance to the masses. Some of us can easily discern what's helpful or harmful and make decisions quickly. Others of us can help hold the space with patience while the rest of us catch up. The roles and the responsibilities are different, but they are all needed, and they all require power. What's fascinating to me here is that God is the source of our dissimilarity. Whichever strengths you might find in yourself, there is no one model that we are all meant to conform to. No single checklist that we're all required to meet. This is good news for Jane this morning. <laughs> and for all of us who are baptized into the body of Christ, Jane does not need to know or do everything in order to be faithful, and neither do we. She doesn't need to have every gift or talent to be of use in this world, and neither do we. We are each one part of a much larger body. We were never meant to shorter all of it alone. At the same time, though, our Jane has inherent and unique power as God's child to act in this world, and so do we. When we're sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, 
we are given a power that is life-giving, that's creative, that's radically inclusive and sometimes loud, and at the same time, a power that is uniquely ours to use or to waste. There is a role that will not be played in this universe unless Jane plays it. Likewise, no one can play our part for us. Only we can do that. And yes, we are called to let that fire shine bright. I can't wait to see what else she does with her power. I can't wait to see what we all do with ours. In the name of the one who has sent us and has given us the power to move. Amen. Amen. Amen.